Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today, we talk to Swami Siva Subramanian. He's the VP of Data and AI at AWS, and he'll talk about what's needed for reskilling when it comes to AI and machine learning, and what managers and workers can do to get prepared now. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. It's super important that we make these technologies more and more accessible in a big way for the broader workforce of tomorrow, because AI and generative AI is the future. Technology is changing at a rapid clip, and jobs are changing with it. Our World Economic Forum Future of Jobs report predicted that 23% of global jobs will change in just the next five years. And while some jobs will be eliminated, technology is going to make room for new jobs that haven't yet been invented. And existing jobs will be augmented by new technologies helping you or me do what we do best, just better. Swami Sivar Subramanian understands this well. He is the VP of Data and AI at Amazon Web Services, and he'll talk to us about what workers and managers should prioritize when it comes to getting AI ready. He'll also share some free programs that the company is making available to democratize access to new tech, regardless of people's roles, age, or even their ability to code. He'll also talk to us about his own background growing up in India without a computer at home and his start at Amazon nearly 20 years ago as a mere intern. He'll share how those experiences shaped him as a leader and a technologist, the questions that anyone can ask to transform their teams and their future products, and how anyone can benefit from embracing new technologies. I'll let him get started. Amazon has been building AI and ML technology for more than 25 years or so. And one thing is clear is AI is going to be the most transformative technology of our generation. And I am really heartened by the energy and the curiosity about generative AI that I see now in the mainstream. So because generative AI has captured our imaginations for its ability to create images and videos or write stories or even generate code, right? And the biggest opportunity with generative AI is it can transform every aspect of how we do our business. And it's a priority for our customers. So that is where I'm spending a lot of time on how do you actually use data and generative AI to rethink every aspect of business? And how do you enable workforce and future builders and leaders to be able to be ready when generative AI is going more and more mainstream? Amazon has released some new data about the future of work. Can you tell us a little bit about this research and sort of what surprised you about it? Yeah, if you see, Amazon is a very data-driven company. So one of the first things we actually did was uh, to kind of get a sense on how do business think about AI and how do they think about scaling. And our research is the data affirms that AI will transform business and it's going to be integral to how leaders are thinking about the space. So businesses are using AI and expect to lean further into this technology. For instance, 73% of our employers think hiring AI talent is going to be a top priority for them, but they can't find enough workers with AI talent. So, and then the skills gap increased more and more because up to 93% of these businesses really want to deploy AI solutions in the next five years. 
So that means this need for skilled uh, technical workforce is going to further increase. And the demand is creating opportunity for workers. When you think about it, employers expect their workers to earn up to 47% more in salaries if they upskill in AI. Uh, that is for technical roles, but equally we are finding similar such opportunity in marketing or finance or HR as well. So this basically reinforces how integral AI is going to be when it comes to enhancing the way we work uh, and work gets done across the organization. When we talk about this, what do people sort of misunderstand when it comes to reskilling for AI or machine learning? What do they, they need to be putting in place that maybe they aren't quite getting yet? First, most managers probably misunderstand that you need to be highly technical to learn about AI and get skilled. And that's a misconception that we are actively trying to debunk uh, with our programs by showing that it's possible to learn about AI and even train algorithms without having to write any code. Uh, for example, even before generative AI, when it comes to deep learning, deep racer, this program that we offer that helped introduce adults and students to learn about fundamental AI concepts and get practical experience using reinforcement learning to train an AI model to drive a mini race car, so to speak. Through this program, we made learning AI easy and fun using a virtual race car simulator. And it only takes a few minutes to grasp the core concepts and start training your model. And now we are doing a very similar thing also with generative AI coursework. Uh, we are launching a new dance AI party edition as part of uh, actually some of the launches. This is designed to help right from kindergarten to 12th grade students get hands-on experience coding and using generative AI, using blocks of code and experimenting with uh, generative AI concepts and whatnot. So I'm super excited even to put uh, some of this to work, even with my eight-year-old daughter as well. <laughs> uh, that's a, such a, a fun program. And to get kids very familiar with these new technologies is so, so important. And when we look at maybe their parents or even their older counterparts, right, who are kind of going into the workforce, you know, if they're thinking about skills that they need to be building, capabilities that they need to be strengthening, what should they be thinking about? How should they be prioritizing to make sure that they're building what they need and seeking out the skills that they need? AWS, we have a number of initiatives uh, towards skilling, training, and education, right from like in AWS, uh, we are committed to help around like 29 million people get free cloud computing skills training by 2025. And so far, uh, it is really exciting to see that we have already helped more than 21 million people. So... Now, the next step uh, we have done is in the same commitment. Now we are bringing that kind of upskilling also with generative AI. While generative AI is going to be the future, and when it becomes the future, the workforce of tomorrow needs to be ready. And to do that, now we are offering a bunch of new initiatives and technology right from like $12.5 million in generative AI scholarships with Udacity, a new collaboration with Code.org to help students learn about generative AI, and eight new free AI and generative AI courses as well. So these are some of the examples of courses and others we are offering now. We also have a big focus on actually helping some of our underrepresented and underserved communities with these programs as well. So what does this all mean for someone who is actually looking to reskill? I would encourage them to first consider taking some of these free offerings right away and then see what 
can they actually get out of this technology and how can they put it to work in their organization that they are already part of uh, because this can open new kind of doors and new kind of actually possibilities even in their current jobs let alone it might expose them to net new uh, jobs as well so these are some of the things i would encourage them and it is super important that they don't see it as like it is only for developers and coders because everyday builders now if you're running a marketing campaign now you can generate uh, net new images uh, using generative AI that are more captivating. Or if you are actually authoring, you can use some of these tools and with the personalized campaign messages. So there are so many possibilities that you can do in this world. I think it's really interesting because even within the new offerings that you guys are going to have, uh, there are classes for sort of people who are in the business world, as well as for people who are developers and who are a little bit more technical, non-technical audiences, as they're searching for the right step, the right class, and they don't get daunted too early. What should they be thinking about as they, they seek out the right resources for them? Don't be afraid to get started because a lot of people who are actually now embracing generative AI come from a non-developer background and they are able to put it to work in a really creative way. So it can be as simple as uh, learning the basic concepts on generative AI to how do you apply generative AI for things like enterprise search or how do you apply it for if you're a software engineer who has been trained on a different way, how do you actually use AI coding companions uh, like Code Whisperer uh, to put it to uh, and so for getting exposed uh, and then playing with them goes a long way so that you're uh, actually familiar when your organization is uh, getting ready in terms of thinking through. So. I'll repeat again, it's not only for technical people. And in an organization, if you're a manager, I would encourage them to actually consider offering generative AI training opportunities because there are um, so many creative applications of generative AI right now. And if the organization or a company wants to transform its product offerings and customer experience using generative AI, you want your workforce to be actually ready. And you want them to be able to come up with these ideas bottom up instead of only doing a top down innovation as well, because that's when real innovation blooms. And that is one of the reasons why it is also important for leadership and managers to also actually set their priorities around reskilling their workforce in a big way with some of these uh, generative AI skills. Managers and bosses and leaders are imagining the workforce that they'd like to have five years from now. It's very trendy. It's very good to say, yep, yep, we want to upskill from this. But in some cases, they might need to picture, okay, what are those people doing? <laughs> what are we accomplishing? How is this uh, sort of solving a problem for us? You know, um, what should they be envisioning when it comes to sort of thinking about what they would like AI to be doing at their workforce so that they can kind of back up from there? In your mind, what should they be thinking about? And it comes to reskilling or AI. First, it's super important that the leadership has a buy-in. So um, having managers on board is critical to ensuring that the upskilling efforts are supported. Uh, sometimes we all actually tend to worry about what is the most urgent right now and then try to actually account it that we can sometimes miss the long-term picture. So that is super important. Allocating, even if it is, let's say, a small percentage of your workforce time to actually reskilling is an important long-term asset in a big way. The other thing I typically encourage is that unlike actually traditional cloud computing technology, which typically transformed how IT industry, but 
AI, especially with generative AI, has the potential to disrupt every aspect of how applications are getting built, every aspect of how every vertical is being done. So right from, it's not just exclusive to uh, one domain like financial services or so forth. The, uh, the applications go from all the way from like financial services to e-commerce to healthcare to every other domain, various different use cases right from like uh, improving customer service to providing a better experience to doing personalization to actually uh, being able to do underlying workflows on uh, document processing better. Many of these are right now being done very, very manually. And uh, what you, if I were a manager, one of the key things I'd think about is uh, how would my team's work will be transformed with AI and generative AI broadly. That is a mandatory question that they should answer when they are planning their annual cycle or so forth. This is very similar to how Amazon has been doing it for the past 10 years. So in Amazon, we have an annual planning cycle where we write a document and that says, hey, here is what my organization will be working on for the next 12 months to deliver remarkable customer experience. And there is always one mandatory question. How do you plan to use machine learning in your business to improve the customer experience? And that question basically led to a lot of positive conversations. Many early on in the first year or so, they actually didn't know what it would do. But it triggered the conversation to engage with the right folks to say and get feedback saying, okay, here are the potential areas you should explore. The next time then that led to better refined answers. And then it led to a culture of making machine learning integral part of everything we do. So that is one of the mandatory things I typically recommend so that uh, people don't view it as machine learning as something only a subset of their workforce needs to worry about uh, as well. We recently had a World Economic Forum, a, like a Jobs of Tomorrow report that came out, and it looked at how, hey, there are some jobs that will be unaffected by AI and machine learning, some that will be eliminated, some that will also be augmented. Is that maybe another framework that uh, either workers or managers can look at and should put into place? That's a good framework to actually think through. And uh, you touched on uh, arguably the most important of the three, because I actually happen to believe the biggest benefit you're going to get with um, these AI technologies is augmenting human intelligence to make them, let's say, 10x more productive. It can be like an AI coding companion helping software developers, uh, or it can be actually a person uh, helping on the customer service side, help resolve customer issues faster. That means they spend less time doing mundane routine things, and they actually end up doing what humans are usually really good at, which is being highly innovative to sort create something fundamentally new. So the uh, Augmenting human intelligence with AI technology is a very, very important lens. And it's not obvious how you actually do it. With the, the fast technology cycles that we've been seeing, uh, things turning around more quickly and more quickly, how important is it also for those ideas to coming from the bottom up rather opposed to the top down for companies to keep pace with the change? Uh, how important is that? I actually think it is super important that it comes from both sides. One, you, of course, really need to have a leadership buy-in because uh, that they need to really fundamentally believe that AI is going to transform 
in a very positive way, actually, uh, the customer experience and creating net new products and uh, improve their underlying cost structure. That buy-in will enable them to actually set goals in terms of what kind of new products they can create, what kind of new customer experience, or how do they actually do more automation. But all of those won't materialize unless the builders and their workforce come up uh, with novel ideas to execute and realize some of those visions. So um, I'll just give our own personal story as an example. So I mentioned that we had a mandatory question in our yearly planning document that triggered a lot of top-down conversation on what should we do with machine learning in each and every aspect of our business. But if we did just that and stopped at it, then Everyone will be like, okay, we have all these ideas. Who's going to build them, right? So that's why my team, we actually built a team called Machine Learning University. This was even many years ago So at the time. So the idea behind it is we offered actually like undergrad and grad school level courses within Amazon that we made it available to all our engineers and non-engineer builders so that they know what ML can do and how to put it to work for their business in a meaningful way. And this essentially enabled many, many builders to be able to understand machine learning, what are its... Uh, what kind of innovations it can drive, what are the safeguards and guardrails you need to have. And also, of course, they became very versatile and familiar. And uh, so that's how we were able to actually enable the adoption of machine learning on different lines of Amazon business. So that's why it's super important to have both these uh, top-down and bottom-up initiatives. When did that uh, question get looped into the yearly planning? Uh, it got looped in probably like eight or nine years ago. And if you guys hadn't had that question in your, your planning documents, how would Amazon be different? How would AWS be different? It's a great question. Uh, actually, uh, if you didn't have the question, I mean, uh, what ifs are uh, very hard, but being able to leverage the power of machine learning, now we have incredible innovations like two-day shipping, where we are able to deliver uh, products to our customers faster. We are able to actually fulfill orders um, by leveraging computer vision in our and robotics and our fulfillment centers. Too. We are able to create net new products like Alexa or Amazon Go, or let alone AWS, we are uh, able to build these amazing uh, machine learning and AI technologies that are being used by more than 100,000 customer startups and enterprises alike uh, to create different kinds of innovations. So I can't imagine Amazon without these kind of products. So I guess that's what I'm saying in a long-winded way. I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you are the head of AI for AWS. However, sort of famously, you grew up in a, a village in India and you didn't have your own computer. You had a shared computer at your high school. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your background and uh, your sort of uh, exposure to computing just in general? One of my first memory of a computer was at a high school where we had one computer for the entire class. And I remember getting access to a computer maybe 10 to 15 minutes a week to practice all the stuff around. Like I think at that time, I was either learning uh, C or Fortran or basic, I can't remember, a programming language. So, But I used to really look forward to that time because I learned so much of writing all these programs on my notebook. And then I will really use that time to the best extent to actually make sure it runs and it compiles and uh, we got it working. So my first memory of that was uh, 
I was really enamored by the art of possible with these computers and what you can actually do with them. So I ended up actually going to one of the top schools in Chennai uh, for my undergrad, uh, where I got the computer lab had unconstrained access. So, and here I am. I was the first generation to even go to college in my family. So I ended up overcompensating by getting a PhD in computer science uh, as well. So, but uh, the key takeaway is, and uh, I tell this even my daughter is that the duration of how much time you have really doesn't matter. What it really is, you got to actually, those 10 minutes was super important to ignite uh, my curiosity. And I think what you really want to do is expose these amazing technologies to students at the right time and actually build a bridge to the so that they can actually either upscale or rescale at the right time. And that is super important so that these technologies become more accessible. And it's not something that is only available to people who are affluent. And that is something I'm personally passionate about because I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't get even uh, I actually not complaining about the 10 minutes because it really did wonders for me. So it's super important that we make these technologies more and more accessible in a big way uh, for the broader workforce of tomorrow. Because AI and generative AI is the future and you want the workforce to be ready and you want that workforce to be diverse and inclusive. So the more you get them exposed, it's super important. Just to build on that point with sort of making sure that as many people as possible are exposed to these technologies, uh, everyone takes you guys up on your classes. And I know others have classes as well to help people train up on uh, AI and machine learning. But if everyone sort of wakes up next year <laughs> and, and takes advantage of these things and builds on these and builds on these, in a decade, where could we be? How would the world change if every person saw that you know they needed to be sort of up to snuff with uh, machine learning and AI? I think that would be such an amazing world um, because I'm a strong believer that especially in the history of technology time and again, when major step changes in technology happen, we have actually been able to hand off uh, some of the routine mundane things uh, that humans eventually get bored of doing over and over again to these technical implementations and then take actually more harder, ambitious uh, challenges, which humans really like to put their minds and to be created to solve. So, so I expect the level of actually problems we will solve and where we will directly engage is going to be like drastically different 10 years from now in a big, meaningful way. That's what is exciting about some of these technologies. And that's what actually really gets me going when I wake up in the morning in terms of what is the art of possible, right? I mean, it is actually, we live in such an amazing time uh, in terms of what is going to happen. So as you can see, I'm very, uh, really optimistic about the future. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, you started, as you mentioned, uh, you, you started as an intern and now you are head of AI. Amazon and AWS is famous for so many sort of uh, revolutionary ways, looking at uh, leadership, at looking at meetings, at looking at all kinds of different planning. What's a way that you have changed as a leader in your career at Amazon? You know, something that maybe you wouldn't have heard to you at the beginning of your career when you're an intern, but now you're looking at the gosh, like I, this is just part and parcel of how I act and how I approach things. And it's, it's really, really helpful. Is there, is, is there something that comes to mind? 
many, but uh, I'll distill into a couple of things. Uh, number one, even when I was doing my PhD, if you asked me, like, I used to be a person who would get excited about technology for technology's sake and then actually what it means to solve a customer problem. And one of the unique things uh, that make Amazon and Amazon is a leadership principle that we take a lot of pride in, which is uh, customer obsession. Even when you're coming up with like new products and ideas, uh, we actually work backwards from what is the customer problem? And when we launch this product, what will a customer say? So we almost actually write like a press release and a frequently asked questions as if like we are about to launch this product today. And what it would say, we will sit and review that document and then say, what will the customer say as a online quote or what will they like and what will they not like and then see does it truly address a real customer pain point so and this essentially changes the mindset from a person who only worries about uh, how awesome is my technical idea to how useful is my product to create net new industries and uh, net new innovations so and arguably, that is one of the reasons why like Amazon actually was able to do things like AWS to create cloud computing technology or our, all our machine learning technologies like Sage. This actually is because we were working backwards from customer problem and what are some of the hardest challenges they had to solve right now. This essentially changed my entire behavior in terms of technology to a customer. And this has been a great learning exercise and we still keep it very true to that spirit even after 25 years. You've helped to make a lot of things possible at AWS. Is there ever something that like, hey, you know, you weren't sure how it was going to be possible. Maybe you even hit a little bit of a wall because you're building something brand new. You get through it. What's a time that that happened for you? And what did you learn? I have this phrase and I say this a lot because when you're building a lot of extremely ambitious, ambiguous thing, when we started, cloud computing was not even a technology many understood, let alone when we created our storage service or our database technology like DynamoDB, which now scales to millions of transactions a second or so forth. These are all all our AI technologies like SageMaker or Bedrock or so forth. So, But during building some of these ambitious technology, there is lot lot of actually questions and roadblocks and others. And sometimes it is super hard for the engineers and builders and leaders working on this to really feel like, and I don't know, they can be very down in certain times because they are faced with so many different challenges and issues they want to resolve. And I always tell them, first of all, that innovation looks very rosy in the rear view mirror. But when you go through it, it is filled with uh, like agonizing self-doubt and various other things. Uh, uh, it's purely because when you're innovating like true innovation, you are really not sure if what you're about to launch uh, sometimes is really going to be like as successful as you think it is. The only guiding light you have is the strong belief and you work backwards from customer feedback. But it is still something it is uh, super important to keep in mind and uh, have to have a long-term view on some of these ideas and not be like super short-term oriented. Uh, but you've got to actually have the tenacity or the persistence to actually ensure and run it like a marathon instead of a sprint. And that is uh, the biggest piece of advice I would give on those front as well. I, I think it's it's funny you say that because I, I do think that a lot of people um, uh, assume that innovation is 
all high fives. But in reality, you're a pioneer. And just like any pioneer, it's a lot of dirt. It's a lot of mud. It's a lot of hard nights. Why do you think that the reality of it, uh, even though it's it's happened a million times before, all of the innovations we have today are built from that same struggle. Why do you think that that struggle isn't better known? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it's a great question. I actually think it is because people usually tend to see the outcome and actually they see how amazing that technology is and they're more excited about the outcome than what struggles went in to go through. Sometimes founders and uh, leaders who built this technology, if you ask them, they will not be shy to speak up why it was actually super hard to build or so forth, but that's not what human mind typically tends to gravitate to or want to hear So, as well. But it's super important, especially for the next generation of pioneers to know that through innovation and does actually require a lot of uh, hard work and a lot of actually coming a new path is not always easy, but it is an important aspect of uh, how VES and generation actually advance and, and it is an important one for us to actually learn uh, and keep reinforcing it every time and again. And that if you're struggling and if you're doubting, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Even within Amazon, I have actually, I don't know, I have probably created so many services and net new products, but every time that I do something net new and big and other things, there are always actually new learnings and certain things. It's never been like been there, done that, because uh, that's just a sign if it is been there, done that, you're not pushing innovation far enough either. So, Is there a piece of advice that you've always been grateful for? I've had a great fortune of working with many amazing leaders and mentors. Probably I'll say, especially as a young engineer who was actually used to work uh, super hard, like probably, I don't know, 18 hours a day. At some point, I think one of my senior leaders, Amazon AWS, it's very easy for them to say, this person is working so much, so great, keep going. But instead, they offered me an advice saying, like, I really would like you to be here for the next 15 years and have fun. So you got to learn to work like you're running a marathon, not running a sprint. Very, very useful advice. Uh, and the second one probably defines equally who I am as always look for something where you're constantly learning something new every single day. If you are actually feeling like you're not learning anything new, it is time to actually challenge yourself to do something that makes you very uncomfortable. What are you excited about for 2024? A lot of things, but more importantly, to me, what makes the AWS really special is the customer innovation in terms of what they are actually able to do with all these remarkable technologies. Or was it last month in the United Nations? I was on the stage with a healthcare AI startup who is actually trying to scale oncology care using generative AI and making it uh, more accessible. Like, for instance, in Rwanda, for a population of more than 10 million, they literally have only like less than a dozen uh, oncologists. And if you had to scale oncology care for that group, how do you actually? Yes, and, and this founder was talking about how they are putting some of these technologies to work. And 
that is like an amazing example of what is the kind of impact uh, we will have. And that is one of the, in addition to all the stuff, uh, products that we are building, to me, what is more exciting, and I'm almost excited looking forward to in 2024, is all the amazing innovations and the high impact these technologies will enable and uh, what our uh, customers are going to be doing with it. So it should be a very exciting year. That was Swami Sefer Subramanian. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me with Jerry Johansson and Taz Kelleher as editors and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.